everybody and happy halloween welcome back to another episode of every horror movie on netflix that show where we watch review and discuss every horror movie on netflix i'm patrick back again this week with chris happy halloween and steven what's up bitch programming note from the future steven's audio sounds terrible but only for the first 12 or 13 minutes just bear with us it's all gonna get much better soon thanks and we have a very, very special guest this week for our very, very special episode. It's our friend Rowan from the It Slays podcast. Hey, Rowan. How's it going, everybody? It is going well. We have a special assignment today to watch, review, and discuss every Nightmare on Elm Street movie ever. We're going to get to that in just a minute, but uh, Rowan, take a second and uh, kind of introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell, tell them a little bit about uh, It's Lace podcast and uh, you know why you signed up for this crazy assignment. Well, I mean, obviously I signed up for it because uh, what greater franchise to... Uh talk about than probably the most batshit crazy one (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so i'm rowan uh and our podcast is the it slays podcast we similar to you guys just review horror movies uh not similar to you we kind of we do a pick every two weeks and we don't know what each other picks so we usually uh just try to piss off everyone on our podcast and pick <laughs> movies we know they don't want to watch. Uh, uh, we we but yeah, just do that can, naturally. Yeah, naturally. Why wouldn't you do that? Uh, but you can check out anywhere on social media. It slays podcasts. We've got links everywhere. I don't want to bore people with that. And obviously, we're big fans of you guys. So it's great this is happening. Yeah, we discovered you guys through your very kind recommendation of us uh, a little while ago and have really been enjoying your podcast and and chatting with you all over social media. So it's good to have you here. We know you all did an amazing episode on Nightmare on Elm Street 2 a little while ago. So we were we were like, okay, I think it's time for the for the crossover. So Well, you guys have also yeah, done yeah. the original Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Yeah, we did the original last Halloween for our uh we do like October Fest every October, so where we release every week because we're we are insane, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we did the first one then, and we did the second one for Pride Month year. Oh yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Sadly, Mark Patton didn't uh, shout us out. Oh, that is sad. All right, well, let's jump into it here. As longtime listeners may know, we've done a couple of these full franchise episodes before. Obviously, no. The Nightmare on Elm Street movies are not on Netflix. None of them are actually on Netflix, but we figured why not keep it going for a special Halloween 
episode. And, so, you know, of all the franchises, other than, I guess, probably Halloween, I would say Nightmare on Elm Street franchise may have the biggest Halloween energy of mm. any of the major horror franchises. So what do you mean by big Halloween energy? Describe big Halloween energy. I mean, you got you got suburban neighborhoods at night. You got kind of like a sensational villain. Okay. Who there's color involved. There's there's creeps involved. It's like, you know, it's not just like one guy creeping around with a knife or whatever. There's all kinds of like weird spooky shit that happens in these movies, whether it makes uh, logical sense or not. And it's a special thing. It's nice. I was going to say, Freddy's probably like the least creep in uh, some of these films. Yes. Yes. <laughs> all the like crazy like worms and shit and other paranormal <laughs> happenings that happen around Freddy. It all has big Halloween energy. So good time to watch these movies when you can open up a window, feel that cold draft coming in, crawl under a blanket and try not to fall asleep. Although I have to say it's kind of hard <laughs> not to fall asleep. <laughs> But I was we'll going to say, to I that. wish I had that experience with these movies. <laughs> but I won't get into it. <laughs> so uh, before we dive into the first movie, I guess I just want to set a little context. Uh, what what was everybody coming into this assignment with? Had you already seen all the movies? What was your preconceived notion of of this assignment? Mine was I'd already seen them all. I'd already been through the whole thing. And in fact, I think I watched all these movies only a year ago, maybe two years ago. It was quite recent. Chris? Um, so I had seen the first, I mean, like I'm, I've been a long time fan of the first original nightmare movie. I got the poster on my wall here. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of that one. It's one of my favorite, um, horror movies of all time. I'd seen that one. I'd seen two, I'd seen three and I'd seen Freddy versus Jason. Um, and that's all I'd seen before launching this project. How about you, Rowan? Uh, so I've seen them all. I, uh, just throughout life, uh, I was raised on horror movies from my parents, so they made me watch all of these. The only ones, I will say, the only ones I didn't watch for this rewatch was the first and second one, simply because I saw the first one in the drive-thru just a couple weeks ago, and the the drive-in here, and the second one I watch all the time, so I'd recently seen it. How about you, Steven? What's your... uh what baggage were you bringing into this assignment? Yeah, it's interesting. So I thought I'd seen them all <laughs> until I got to four and five and you know, mm. we'll talk about it. Um, those were completely fresh to me. I've seen the second one, you know, half a dozen times just because of, you know, what it is. Uh, and I saw Freddy versus Jason in the theater on my birthday. And I went with a group of friends to make fun of it loudly and, really pissed off an entire room full of people that thought it was actually scary. <laughs> so that was an experience. Um, and I, I had not seen the remake until last night with you, though, Patrick. God bless. What an experience. We'll talk about it soon. We will, yeah. All right, well, let's get into it. We're going to do this lightning round style. There's no spoiler room today. Uh, you know, if you want any of these... <laughs> At, at the youngest decade old movies uh, not to be spoiled for you then don't listen to the rest of this uh, we're just going to blast through each, each of these kind of hit some highlights and give each one a view it cue it or screw it uh, so let's get started nightmare on elm street y'all heard of this movie before what were your feelings on it well we know where chris stands because i can see the poster behind him right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i mean this is one of my favorite movies just period of all time i've always loved 
the creativity of this movie. I love all the wild dream sequences and wild practical effects. And I've always just loved the way it wraps up. I like that the final solution is uh, her, you know, choosing not to believe in him anymore. And that resolves things until that bullshit ending that I bitch about all the time. But I love it. And who can't love uh, Johnny Depp in the crop top? <laughs> yes. My God. <laughs> I got it. What a thirst trap. Uh, who knew where he'd, where he'd wind up? Uh, very conflicted feelings about seeing him looking so hot in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, look, this is, this is just a good uh, horror romp. And I like how it's kind of an unassuming movie, at least compared to the sequels that it spawned. Uh, Wes Craven, uh, you know, had a good run of little one-and-done sort of uh, movies. And, I mean, the concept for this movie and the fran- whole franchise uh, is just so strong, you know? There's a there's a creep out there. Uh, you know, kids are afraid of the dark, naturally. They're afraid when they're in bed. I, was, I grew up, I was afraid of everything in my room when I was in bed. <laughs> and now it's like, yeah, you're in bed don't fall asleep or you'll die and those nightmares are can actually kill you and Mm -hmm. you have to fall asleep it's you can't stay awake forever so you gotta solve the problem or you're gonna get killed and you know at this stage in the franchise with it being the first movie there's still so much mystery around freddy he's actually really scary um you know it's like he's he's familiar looking and that he's just a guy in a hat and a sweater but he's also so menacing and seems so strange um it's just it's just really good i mean you can you can dissect Wes craven's brain and you know delve into the themes there's some stuff i noticed this time around that i hadn't noticed before about how you know none of the institutions are going to save you your parents aren't going to save you they're in on it your crucifix isn't going to save you the police aren't going to save you your school's not going to save you um interesting stuff going on with that Um, so it's just like real life essentially it's just like real life yeah it's it's the quintessential like teen horror movie i think i mean so many films have have borrowed from those those themes in that uh that that milieu he sets up where it's just the thing you don't really see many adults in this movie at all yeah and and i think it is a teen movie in that it's about being a teenager and and kind of the things that teenagers discover as they grow up um so I don't know how much that was intended or if it just kind of came out, uh, but but it, it adds a little layer to this movie that I really appreciate. But it's just a great, you know, really innovative stuff. Um, I wouldn't call it a low-budget movie, but it's certainly not a huge-budget movie, and it you know gets a lot of mileage out of some pretty simple practical effects that have been imitated time and time again because they're economical and, and effective. Uh, just good stuff, good creeps. The dream sequences are always fun. Great film. Right. Like when you talk about the practical effects, I will always remember. And one of the sort of weirdly scariest things in this movie is that scene where she's walking up the stairs and sinking, running up the stairs and sinking into them, which if I remember correctly, I think that's pancake batter that they put in the stairs. And I just, it's such an indelible image for me just because I love the concept of that effect and how simple but effective it is. And also it's just a horrifying concept. It's very dreamlike, like walking up the stairs and sinking into them. I, I love it. I love it. Well, it should be noted too, you know, Craven has, uh, you know, he's not too involved with most of the subsequent films, but he, he had a master's degree in philosophy. And like, I really think Mm -hmm. Chris, when you're speaking to the, the themes that come up in that first movie i I think it was all like really intentional i think it might be one of his strongest scripts honestly Mm. yeah i'd agree with that i was gonna say too i think 
especially where we've kind of looked at all the movies for this, uh, like these dream effects still to me hold up as some of the best ones in the series. Uh, even though, you know, we went a little more crazy as the series go on, but these are so grounded in kind of like these basic human fears that I just think it really like resonates. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it feels like, you know, when the Tina or whatever, when she gets, you know, dragged up onto the ceiling and she's being torn apart, levitating and everything, iconic scene. You know, there's no mystery to like how it's done. It's kind of clear watching the scene. <laughs> like, like it's not like, oh, wow, how'd they do that? But even knowing how it's done, it's still like really alarming to watch. It's, it's really weird. Like, like the, the, uh, special effects don't need to be transparent to be really uh, effective, and I, I don't know. I think that's interesting. It's it's a great film. I love it. it. Well, and it's so interesting too to compare. And obviously, we're going to get into the remake at the end of the episode. But it's so interesting to compare when they attempt to restage some of these effects. You know, however many thirty, forty years later, um, and particularly, I'm just thinking of that iconic shot from the first one where, like, Freddie slowly like morphs out of the wall and originally there's like i don't know latex or some balloon material that an actual person is like pushing through and they redo that with cg in the remake and it just looks like shit it looks like it looks terrible (laughs) yeah uh don't fuck with the original the other thing i would i would throw in here uh what chris said about the nature of freddy in this really stuck with me too because this movie benefits so much from you having the least amount of backstory on Freddy and Freddy being less quippy than he is in any of the movies. You know, it's, it's just better when you don't know that much about him and he's not wisecracking left and right. This originally was supposed to have Freddy being a child molester and not a child Mm. killer, but he was worried at the time period, like he wasn't going to get away with that. Oh, wow. But I just thought it was interesting because in comparison to the, you know, the 2010 remake, which actually dove into that, I thought this Mm. actually executed that subliminally really well. It doesn't matter. That's the thing. And I'm sure I'll talk about more more about this when we get to the remake. But like the, the premise of this movie is not the revenge on the child killer story. Yeah. That doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Right. Really, the premise of this thing is there's a boogeyman who kills you in your dreams. His motivation, his backstory irrelevant it's kind of there i think uh because there's some interesting it informs the way that this story wraps up and it informs the themes with the whole thing where the parents and the whole community are in on it and the teenagers are the only ones who are shooting straight and the only ones who are you know they're left around their own devices but i think this franchise especially some of the entries later on concern itself way too much with the circumstances of freddy krueger the man when really we got freddy the monster and that's all we need yeah yeah i agree i'm down with that all right well i think that's a good summary uh should we go ahead and review it sure yeah i'm ready to review it um you know i'm not a mystery so i'll go first um i'm actually you know early on in our journey this was on netflix um it had you know the name starts with a so it was actually right up there we were actually going to review it as one of our like first 10 episodes i was really Mm -hmm. looking forward to that it Hmm. disappeared from netflix so we didn't get to it i would love to talk for an hour and a half about a nightmare on elm street obviously we don't have time today but um uh it's a great movie uh view it it's a it's a classic it's one of the few slash 
slasher classics that I can unequivocally say is a good movie all the way through and holds up after all these years. It's very imaginative. It's very creepy. It's very fun. It's scary and it's fun at the same time. And it's really smart. There's scenes in this when when Nancy, the, the sleep study scene where Nancy's having the nightmare and she wakes up and she has the hat in her hand. It's like one of mm-hmm. my favorite movie scenes in any movie. Um, just really great stuff in this. View it and, and view it every year if you have to. <laughs> <laughs> Steven. Yeah, view it. Totally view it. I mean, it's it still holds up really well. I've only seen it a, a couple of times, but you know, I feel like the sequels have maybe deterred people from seeking out the original because they're so goofy and strange, but this movie just has a really gritty grounded energy to it that I always enjoy every time I return to it. Um view it and uh, I'll go with Chris, view it every year if you can. Rowan. Yeah, so I'm like quickly going to change what I was going to give it. So I will, I know, I will give it a view it. I was going to give it a cue it. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, to me, like you have to see this. It's, it is a great film. And, and I think, especially if someone that maybe is just getting into horror, you know, this is also a great, like, I'm thinking like preteen teenager movie. Like if you're showing your kid a movie, I'd show my kid this movie and and it's just necessary watching. The only reason I kind of was on the cue line was because every year this isn't the one I go back to. I, I, there is other ones that I think are stronger for my tastes. Uh, but yeah, I'll give it a view it. I mean, I, I'm going to jump on the view it train as well. I, you know, no surprises there. As I said, this is just one of my favorite movies in any genre. And uh, yeah, great, great, great classic. So with that out of the way, let's move on to A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Oh, yeah. Which we've basically already reviewed on the show. And the Have documentary we? based on it. I mean, we've talked about it enough that I feel like we've reviewed it. Yeah, we, we've talked quite a bit about uh, Scream Queen. Um, this is a movie I saw years ago, um, not really aware that it was of the whole, uh, queer film controversy and everything that went on with it, but I didn't like it at the time very much. Um, and then obviously I've watched it with you guys. We've talked about it a lot. I certainly, uh, have come to appreciate it, uh, as a, uh, historical and a cultural piece, maybe. I don't know how to really describe it. Um, but I wasn't expecting to like it. And and um, it actually held up for me a lot better on this second go-around. I mean, the, the, the mm. basic premise... Well, someone else can describe the basic premise here. I don't know if I'm best suited to do that. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it should be said, too, that like this is like a rushed sequel that Wes Craven apparently was not involved with at all. The first movie made so much money as horror films do based on a limited budget and Bob Shea, who who's going to come up throughout this podcast just immediately jumped on the sequel train. So this movie, like I, 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 I want to ask you guys actually, is this even Canon in the Freddy verse? It feels so divorced from the rest of the films. That's not something I think about a whole lot, but I did sort of notice as one interesting note that this movie, like just kind of completely dispenses with the whole concept of like, Freddy attacking you while you fall asleep. Like uh, the main character, I forget his name already, Mark Patton, just sort of starts transforming into Freddy. Jesse. Just kind of randomly. Jesse, yes. Jesse, yeah. Jesse has moved into the house from the first movie. Uh, He's being haunted by Freddy. 
as the more this goes on, the more he sleeps, the more Freddy begins trying to use him as an outlet to come into the real world. Yeah. Uh, eventually, he's essentially he's being six- possessed by Freddy. He's becoming possessed. Then he ultimately ends up coming into the real world through Jesse. Um, Jesse is only redeemed, I guess, through the power of his girlfriend. Again, not being afraid of Freddy and and kissing him. And then that abolishes Freddy. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. That's the, now that's the movie on the textual level. Obviously the subtextual level, I'm not sure what it's trying to say. Um, I don't but, think the screenwriter is even sure what he's trying to say, even <laughs> after seeing Scream Queen. Like he, th- there's lots of there are lots of like queer, quote unquote, subtext in this film that like we we don't have an answer for whether or not they're intentional. That's what makes it such a fascinating like accidental camp classic. I think. I was gonna say if I were to describe the plot of this movie, I would be like, well, he walks into a gay bar and then his teacher taps him <laughs> on the shoulder in a leather daddy vest. I mean, oh my god, what a sequence! The gym teacher uh, being attacked in the shower, holy shit! It literally being assaulted by balls. Yeah, mm-hmm. like what a what a wild sequence. I mean, all you really needed in this movie was that, and then like the uh, the dance scene to touch me, and I mean, <laughs> to me, you made it an instant classic. Yeah, yeah. Also, I have to point out, and, and you know what, Rowan, y- you guys and your podcast kind of drew my attention to this song. I never necessarily paid attention to the song that plays in. I mean, it, it's not stated to be a gay bar, but it's pretty clearly a gay bar. <laughs> but the song is sick, and I've listened to that oh, song yeah. so many times since listening to your episode. Yeah, we uh, we definitely listen to it all the time, like it's in the car. It's an earworm. It's a banger, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this but movie yeah. plays like so fast and loose with the rules. We're like, I don't even know to this day if that's a dream sequence or not. Mm, oh yeah. yeah, this this whole movie it's like um it's like the rise of Skywalker and how much it just <laughs> adds new shit to like Freddy's powers. I guess now when Freddy's around, it gets hot, guys. I guess birds explode when Freddy's around. The toaster's gonna short circuit. <laughs> like there's just so much random shit in this movie. But you know what? I, I kinda like it because it is so much fun. Um, you know, we can talk about the gym teacher and all the, the homoerotic uh text. <laughs> I'm not even gonna call it subtext. Yeah, uh, which I think I mean has has earned this movie a cult following. For me, it seems like a a, a novelty sort of thing that I, I'm not really into. But the the scary um, Freddy's still really kind of fucking scary in this movie especially you know you see him a lot in shadow he's very wet he's a very wet freddy in this one sometimes we get dry freddy sometimes we get wet freddy uh but he's at his wettest in nightmare too and um you know it's it's fun he's still he's still a fucking weird boogeyman that you don't like when he's around and he 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 the the, the scene where he crawls out of jesse's abdomen um, oh is amazing a, a phenomenal phenomenal mm-hmm. action and you know what it is fun once in a while to just have Freddy Krueger in the flesh, in the real world, running around, clowning around, killing teenagers like he does in the in the climactic party scene. So I was going to say, um, too, like kind of what you were talking about. This is where I kind of divide the series where one and two, are, I you know, I call them serious Freddy. And then the rest, we just kind of start getting silly, Freddy. So, yeah. so I always put them kind of in classes of their own. Like when I compare 
I always compare one and two to like how do I like my serious Freddy to how do I like my silly Freddy. And uh, I was going to say like this one, I always for some reason think of two where this is where Freddy is the most Jason like where he's just kind Mm. of a typical slasher villain. And like you said, where he's coming out of this dream world. So it's just kind of slicing and dicing. There's nothing spectacular really about most of the kills. It's just, you know, how many hot kids in swim trunks can I slash in the (laughs) chest? Yeah, pretty much. But it does, uh, he, you know, I will give it credit. It does do a great job of adding to the amazing Nightmare on Elm Street lore of parents just like batshit crazy parents in this series the uh like the performance from the dad in this one jesse's dad is amazing yes oh yes clue gulliger right yeah yeah like just amazing i think most of the parents in this whole series are you know they're either just really bizarre raging alcoholics and i live for Mm. it Oh, well, I love Lisa's parents in this movie who are just horny as fuck. Like, they <laughs> abandon the kids' pool party and just give each other this, like, just fuck me eyes. Like, oh, it's time to go to bed. I mean, they go back to the house to fuck, and the kids are just like, when's the when's your bedroom light going to go off? And as soon as it goes off, they're like, time to party, as though, like, the parents can't hear them from their bedroom. Mm-hmm. Love that parenting. <laughs> and I also have to point out that I love the baby-faced dogs in this film. Like, Iconic. what a bizarre and fucked up effect. And you only really see it for like 20 seconds, but it's great. All right, we've got a schedule to keep. Unless anyone else has any other burning issues to bring up about Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Yeah, don't let me fall asleep, Patrick. Keep it moving. This movie's kind of been talked to death, I think. Uh, I, I hear Rowan has a whole episode about it on It Slays. Um, we've talked about it a few times. I think we can move on. Patrick, All right. What would, would you view it, cue it, or screw it? Nightmare on Elm Street 2. We should mention the subtitle, Freddy's Revenge. Yeah, I did revenge? mention it before. I don't know if he gets revenge. <laughs> yeah i I don't know that he does um it's a view it for me this one is it's fun it's crazy uh obviously at this point it has i don't want to say it's historic but certainly just the uh discussion and the controversy that's arisen over it with the years is is fascinating and it's interesting to watch from that perspective uh watch it and then watch scream queen which is an amazing fucking documentary about how the lead actor's life was essentially ruined by this Rowan. Astounding view it for me. This is my favorite of the franchise. Uh, Whoa. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I uh, I am living for, like I said, the soundtrack to this, the the very blatant text in it. Uh, I just, I really like this, and I'm one of those weirdos that, you know, I, I love Friday the 13th. That's probably, like, my franchise uh, compared to this one. So I do like those just, like, really terrible basic slasher films, which, like I said before, I think this kind of pulls off. So definitely a view it for me. Steven, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I think our listeners will know that I would give this movie a view it. It's like, I mean, the first film is is astounding and, and holds up so well over time. The second film 
is, you know, kind of a rush job that just kind of accidentally became an important cultural staple. And I, I can get behind that. I think people should see this movie. They should definitely see Scream Queen. It's, is it going to give you your bang for your buck if you're looking for like a, like a nightmare slasher movie? Like, no, it's, it's a very goofy film. But it's also, I think, incredibly rewarding, especially knowing the history behind it. But yeah, all in all, it's it's kind of a banger to watch through, though. Like, even though you don't get what you expect, <laughs> there are lots of like unexpected laughs in it that, that I think will help carry you through. So strong view it from me. Chris. Yeah, I'm going to give it a cue it. Um, it's not really what I want in a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I'm not sure if I ever get what I want in a Nightmare on Elm Street movie other than <laughs> the first one. But, um, you know, it's it's fun. It's a fun watch. I went into this rewatch expecting to give it a screw it. It was a screw it in my mind. But it is a hell of a lot of fun uh, kind of from start to finish. If you just kind of let go, stop trying to fight, which may, that's kind of what the movie's about. Um, yeah. You know, you stop trying to fight what you think the Nightmare on Elm Street movie should be and just let it come to you. It, you'll, you'll have a good time with it. And and again, in, in hindsight, too, it's really refreshing to see uh, creepy Freddy, wet or not, doing some Freddy <laughs> shit that's not silly. All right. Well, let's move on to A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Um, you know, as Rowan said, sort of the beginning of the, the funny Freddy era and for my money, certainly the peak of that era. What's uh, y'all's impressions of this one? Oh, I 100% agree with everything you just said. Like, I I feel like this is this movie is it's a bigger budget, bigger spills and thrills and chills. But like, it's um as far as like funny Freddy goes, this is the one movie where Freddy still manages to be kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, yeah. it's it's, yeah, it's and, a downhill he, slide from there though. And Freddy's still unambiguously the villain in this one, yeah. you know, and he's still mm. a menace and we're still rooting against him in a way where we don't really get as invested in future films. Um, and this is really, you know, the the true sequel, I guess, to the original Nightmare on Elm Street. We have Heather, our protagonist from the, not Heather, Nancy, played by Heather. <laughs> we have Nancy, Nancy from the first movie showing up. Um, you know, like two years have passed in real time, 10 years have passed in movie time or something. Now she's gone from being like a junior in high school to having like a master's degree and being a psychologist, specializing in sleep. It's good to see her back. She's mm-hmm. working in a, you know, she goes into an asylum where all the kids are having the shared nightmare of Freddy. She's the only one who knows what's going on. And it's, it's really satisfying to have all these kids that we meet them and the kids are all very well uh, characterized mm-hmm. and they're all dealing with their Freddy nightmares. And it's really fun to have uh, Nancy show up and be like, listen, I know exactly what you're going through and we're going to fuck up Freddy the way I did before and everything. And it's great. Great premise. Lots of fun. Yeah, the kids are very well characterized and it's sort of unusual that when you have one of these, you know, just groups of uh, essentially maniac fodder, you know, Rowan mentioned the Friday the 13th series, like so often you've got the group of six, seven, eight kids and they're all just going to get slaughtered and you don't care anything about any of them and the screenwriter doesn't either. But there's actually some time invested in making each of these characters somebody that you care about who has a unique personality they're surprisingly not too stereotyped, um, given the you know kind of diversity of the cast and and some of the things that each of them is struggling with, and I just appreciate that. 
there's there's something to actually connect me to all the crazy dream kills, which are amazing in this movie. Like there's so many insanely cool effects. Yeah, I was gonna say too, like this one, whenever I think about Dream Warriors, this is kind of the one I always lead people to first. Uh I I always feel this is probably one of the more beloved of the franchise, uh just universally. I know I uh, like Mike from the Ace Slice podcast. This is like one of his all time favorite movies, mm-hmm. just in general. And it, like you said, it's just they treat all the kids like their their backstories are like relatable. They're fleshed out characters, and yeah, the, the dream sequences are. I really enjoy them. I know the uh, the punk girl with like the needles is always like very memorable. Oh my god, that's oh, so well conceived. The little like her track mar track yeah, her track marks just basically being like little mouths like oh, opening god, yeah. and yawning in her arm. It's so well conceived. It's also a very silly film though. I mean, like it's it's not scary. There are some like kind of eerie, cringy death moments in it, but we also have like Craig Wasson as just like this complete dope throughout the movie. Isn't there some point where is this the one where he winds up like in the dream world with them and he sees butterflies? Who is that? Craig Wasson from he was in Body Double and like a bunch of uh 80s stuff. He's like the the head of the psychiatric institute, I think. Oh. Is he the one who looks like Bill Maher? Yes. Ah, that, was, that was extremely distracting to me, the whole movie. I, I just like someone else out. thought of that when we were watching yeah. it. That's what we said. We're like, is that Bill Maher? I was just waiting for him to drop some new rules. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, it's like super inventive scares in this movie um, or death sequences, but it's also like pretty silly. And you guys were talking about the, like how well-developed the characters are. I didn't feel that at all. I felt like this is a lean 90 minutes and like there were a couple of times when like I had to like, and you know, maybe this is just me being dumb, but there's a couple of times where I had to like track back like, wait, what was this character's ambition and how does that relate to their death sequence? Like the welcome to primetime bitch. Like I forgot that that character wanted to be an actress or something and uh-huh. I just didn't have any idea why she was being killed in that way it's all like very kind of rushed and condensed yeah i mean it definitely is i mean but i i do like how everyone has a thing and that the thing informs their dreams it often sure. informs their deaths you can keep the characters apart they're all a bunch of you know cute kids um the thing the issue i had though and it seems silly to say this about a horror movie is I thought it was a little mean spirited in how it dispatched these kids. Oh, totally. And that's like part of the thrill of it, which I didn't feel clean after watching it. I have to say, but, but I, I hear you, Chris, but I think that kind of contributes to how Freddie is actually still scary in this, I guess, because mm -hmm. he's like trying to fuck with these kids and their, their dream. I mean, their dreams in the sense of like their goals and aspirations for their lives. And you kind of, you actually hate Freddie more for that in this, and you're not encouraged to just sort of snicker at it the way you are in some of the later films, or at least that was how I felt. Yeah, he's an asshole. He's probably a bigger asshole in this movie than in any of the other movies. We get yeah. we get like a medium dry Freddy, but he's an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> I was gonna say too, like I don't know how you guys feel in terms of it placed in the rest of the series, but I also felt that at least for a little bit, this is kind of the last Nightmare on Elm Street where, like, I remember, like, this is the name, it's Dream Warriors, and this is what happens 
in it because I, totally I do know after this like all of those movies were jumbled in my brain yeah. so this was like the last one that I clearly was like I know this movie from start to finish and it's not like mm-hmm. I have three movies and I don't know what's what and also this movie's responsible for uh, you know all this weird lore we get for the next two coming up it's good. It's good in this one. I like it. I, I like having the spooky ghost nun. Uh, James Wan, eat your heart out. This nun is, <laughs> is great. You know, it shows up. It gives you just enough mystery. And, and you know, the, the little trip to the to the junkyard to dig up Freddy's bones and the corpse coming to life, the bones coming to life. It's it's. Oh, the sequence we'll see again in, in very short time. Oh, I love that uh, skeleton. It's Ray Harryhausen as fuck. Yeah, yeah, love that. skeleton's great. Um, all that stuff's great. Uh, it's sad that you know Nancy has to arbitrarily get get killed at the end of this movie. Uh, again, just kind of more of that mean spirited shit I'm talking about. Um, I'm fine with it because I mean, hot take: Heather Langenkamp is not a very good actress. <laughs> she was no, distractingly like bad in this it. movie. <laughs> I find her charismatic, but her performance is very wildly. And it, it is she's just inconsistent, and this is not one of her best. This is probably her weakest performance in the series to me. I was gonna say, like, I don't know if it'll be my hot take later, but I, I think we find out how bad of an actress she is uh, once we get to New Nightmare. Oh, okay. oh, she's worse in this. Come on, she's way <laughs> oh, worse. I'm not, I'm not gonna talk shit on Heather Langenkamp. I love. I, think, I mean, I, I love think... her as a person. I've never met her, but I follow her on social media. She seems like a total sweetheart, but I found her to be just distractingly. Um, awful. <laughs> she seems great. She gets the job done in these movies. <laughs> All right. Should we review this shit? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to delegate Steven to go first because I don't think he's let off yet. I haven't. No, this is this is a total view it. I mean, it's a it's a it's a very strange beast, but it's a wildly entertaining movie. Lots of memorable kills. It maintains some of the nastiness from the the first film that we had come to expect from the franchise before we go full on like goofy jokey Freddy. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a blast from front to start. Is it a great movie? No, but you should definitely view it. Uh, Chris. Yeah, it's a view it for me too. I think I ex- already explained why I love it. Um, it's it's fun. I don't know if it's a horror movie as much of an action movie, but it it's um, you know it's fun to see a horror movie in a franchise that I guess has the ambition of this movie, where it feels like a big franchise mm-hmm. film. Sort of, you have these characters coming back. You have a uh, phenomenal set pieces twists and turns you have a lore that gets built out um it's a good one um there are i think only three nightmare on elm street movies that i have time for in my life and this is definitely one of them so view it rowan uh so i'm gonna go against the green i'm gonna give it a cue it i do i do like this and you know i'm one of those suckers that like when I decide I'm watching Nightmare on Elm Street, I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm watching, you know, all nine films. But <laughs> this, uh, I think it's a stronger sequel. It's not my favorite sequel. I, I've kind of rediscovered with viewing it for uh, this podcast. So I'll give it a cue. It's definitely worth seeing. But uh, I think I think I can get cheesier than this. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Patrick? 
I will join the view it train. Just a lot of fun. As I said, the peak of the funny Freddy era characters that I can get invested in. Great, great, great effects, uh, including a few we've talked about and many that we haven't. It's a blast. So with that, let's move on to A Nightmare on Elm Street 4. And Rowan, <laughs> I I completely feel you about getting jumbled on like the, the four through six stretch. And I am, I did actively bring up Wikipedia just to confirm to myself that the subtitle is The Dream Master. Uh, well, you know, I, I saw a little uh, clip of Robert Englund talking like at a Comic Con or something about the like lasting legacy of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, and I, Patrick and I were talking about this at the time. I don't know if he remembers, but Robert Englund was like, "Oh, these movies—they're gonna hold up forever. They're gonna be on. I, I can't wait for kids to you know go find the Blu-ray set and they're gonna have a sleepover. They're gonna watch one. They're gonna watch two. They're gonna watch Dream Warriors, the double bill of four and five. That's why I remember." <laughs> The double bill of four and five oh, is how Robert Jesus. Englund described this. And yeah, they, they really are of a piece. Um, what a fucking sadist. <laughs> and, and very hard to, for me to, to, to separate in my mind. Uh, but this one well, is the I think dream that's master. How, I think that's how Rowan experienced them just a couple days ago, right? Yeah, 100%. I, I, I just couldn't remember, especially four and five, uh, like what belong to what what the story was and like i was talking with it with a friend of mine and then i i kept feeling like i was missing a movie i'm like maybe this is all one movie and i just don't remember the other one but well it does feel like a, a two-part story arc you know we're fo- we're focused on this character uh alice uh in in both films so and and she doesn't appear in any other film so they do kind of feel of a piece with each other she's the titular dream master and also just the the way the narratives are are built in these two movies is very similar very confusing um so i had to become the dream master to watch this movie nightmare (laughs) on street four please do Um, explain (laughs) i i started it i i it took me three attempts to get through this movie i started it once and i was too tired so i turned it off then i started it fresh another night and made it like three quarters of the way through was too tired had to stop and then i watched like this the back half of it um uh those the following day so it's like i've watched every part of this movie at least twice but <laughs> it, it took me three attempts to get through it was like building a freeway or something um so the the dream master a narrative mess. I'll, I'll get into that. But um, well, and we should know, note start- that the narrative is co-written by, of all people, Brian Helgeland, who wrote L.A. Confidential and Mystic River. Yes. Okay. So this is exactly what I was going to say because because I spent so much time with this fucking movie. Once it was over, and I was just sitting there in a stupor, and I was back <laughs> on the Blu-ray menu. I just said, fuck it. I'm going to check out the special features. So I checked out the special features, and wouldn't you know it, there was a fucking writer's strike when they made this movie. Yes, so, there was. <laughs> oh, wow. Which explains so much about this movie. They had a, like a draft. They hired the director. The writers went on strike, and they basically Frankensteined this together with whatever scabs they could find to break the strike and finish a fucking screenplay. And... It yeah, shows. apparently Rennie Harlan had to like make up some sequences like on the way. Like they had like days of shooting set up and like kill scenes, and he had to just improvise. Which it also feels- explains why they bring back. I mentioned this earlier. They bring back the the famous junkyard scene in this movie, almost like shot for shot. 
Uh, well, as I want to say it's quite shot for shot, but they they do br- bring back stuff. I mean, they wanted a they wanted a big Dream Warriors was a huge success, and they they wanted to really springboard off of it for Nightmare on Elm Street Four. So they pulled out all the stops. Something they do at the beginning that I don't like is they alien three the whole cast of dream warriors yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's a very eloquent way to put it like like we what i'm saying is alien three ends begins with all the survivors of alien two just dying in a crash landing yeah 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 um and it's it's kind of feels very cheap because i was like hey i was invested in those guys and they won (laughs) i was really i told patrick this i was really upset to see joey die um, I mean, there's a cool death sequence, but I'd kind of developed a crush on him at this point, and he's just dispensed so quickly in this film after seeming like such an important character at the end of the third. I, was, I don't uh, know yeah. if I was upset after I saw that hair, though. I was like, <laughs> oh, I was into I it. Time I was for him to it. go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's also strange because they go to the trouble of recasting Patricia Arquette, who was the protagonist or sort of co-protagonist of Dream Warriors, and then you know she's also offed pretty quickly as well well yeah I, yeah i mean they could have just said oh she transferred to another school or something um but you know good for patricia arquette for not coming back like jamie lee curtis in halloween resurrection to just fucking <laughs> fill a role for five minutes and get yeah. killed off in a sure, way that just shits yeah. on the rest of her work yeah yeah the, the the characters in this one are they're kind of trying to do a similar thing to Dream Warriors where they're developing this little group of friends. Each of them has their dominant trait. You know, there's there's an asthmatic girl. There's a guy who's into karate, and of course, you know that shit's going to come up in how Freddy dispatches them later. And some of that felt a little forced to me. But I also I don't know. I had an interesting kind of relationship with with these characters didn't relate to them as much as I did in dream warriors, but I did like how they kind of played against stereotypes with some of them. You know, you've got like a tough kind of like punk girl and there's like the nerdy asthmatic black girl who, you know, both of these characters occupy very specific, like kind of stereotypical archetypes and you would expect them to kind of clash, but they're like really good friends and they support each other. And I don't know. I just appreciated that it kind of played against what you expect it's going to do with those stereotypes and then that the uh you know kind of stereotypical personality traits end up getting all kind of absorbed into alice our lead at the end when she like puts on Uh a karate headband and puts on the like punk uh like wristband oh my favorite scene in the entire franchise it's great she's (laughs) she's honoring all her fallen friends and she just like looks in the mirror and she's like fucking a i love it yeah yeah it's great i was gonna say say too like this one i know kind of you know as i was reading about it and we were re-watching it like this is has the monk here being like their idea was this is the mtv one mm-hmm. of the franchise and uh i know after i watched it uh me and steven were talking about the soundtrack on this one just knocked my socks off mm. i for, i forgot how good the soundtrack was on this banner after banner on this and it's it's just cheese it's my kind of cheese i mean they had this a bu- movie actually i think this movie won a razzie for worst song isn't there a song really? called therapist in this movie I don't know. By the band Vigil? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. Okay, thank you for confirming. Yeah, it's wow. It's something. <laughs> but I love that Go West song that she dances to while she's getting ready for her fight with Freddy. Like, mm. that was 
It was a serious jam. I still listen to that to this day. <laughs> but we've got, you know, we've got some narrative confusion going on here. Oh, yeah, again, think? that's because they're they they're they're drastically like changing the rules on us again. You know, we have yeah. this character Alice who is a daydreamer, and so it's like, okay, so she can connect to the dreams in the real world, but also she can bring people into her dreams, and also the, basically this is the movie where the line the rules become very very hard to follow, and it's very hard to understand what's happening in the dream world, what's happening in the real world, what's happening in both, what's happening in neither, and. that's what made it really hard for me to engage with. And I really didn't like this movie sitting here thinking about and remembering all the different scenes that I thought were interesting or fun um, and realizing they were all in this movie kind of changes my perception of it. But I I had a really miserable experience with this. Well, and by the end she goes into like the dream reality and I I don't, I couldn't tell you what happens. Isn't this the one where she shows him a mirror or something to defeat him? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and that's that like see-through cross on his head. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Patrick and I were talking about this too. It's like the what are the rules? How do you get rid of Freddy? It's like different in every movie. (laughs) It's like because he is like killed at the end of every movie, starting with three, I think, which is sort of absurd. It's like just you know have him be vanquished or something, but don't give us another like fake out. Okay, he's actually dead. Like we just absolutely wrecked him this time. He's done. You know, like the rules. that they set up it's like well how do you kill freddy well you can have your girlfriend kiss you <laughs> you can uh you know bring him out into the real world and kick his ass mm-hmm. you can uh bury his bones in the consecrated grave you can do that uh you can uh say a poem to him and show him a mirror make him look at himself <laughs> um and it even gets more and more convoluted from there <laughs> it's like i don't know so it's like yeah maybe good for a romp uh you know, good if you're six years old and you stole your dad's Blu-ray and you want to have some fun with your friends, you're going to have a great time. Uh, but I, Listen, I, I had a great time and I'm not six years old. God damn it. <laughs> I love this movie. I'm feeling all the shade thrown at this one. <laughs> well, on that note, should we review this? Yeah, let's do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I'm going I'm to I'm delegate Rowan to go first. Oh, geez. That's just because, you know, everyone's going to hate me. Uh, so I am... I am definitely feel like I'm going to be the outlier on this. I am giving it a view it. I loved this one. Rewatching it, I was like, I like this way better than Dream Warriors. Like I said, I think it was the soundtrack. Anyone that listens to our podcast knows that if you have a good soundtrack, you win me over automatically. I don't even care what the movie's about. I just, I had fun with it. You know, my favorite genre of horror is just the cheesiest worst teen horror i can get and uh-huh. i just i felt that energy on this and uh yeah i just every everything about it i love the the karate sequence kill <laughs> as we said like the bad ass of her getting all the souls and just like the suit up scene i was just yeah i lived for that yeah so it's going to be a view it for me uh we'll throw it to chris I'm going to give it a cue. I'm feeling merciful today. Whoa. Like I said, I, I really had a bad time watching this movie. The The narrative turns and the, the arbitrary rules really kind of made this movie a chore to get through, um, especially because... I don't know. I guess I was tired every time I was watching it. But in hindsight, you know, lots of cool stuff, lots of cool scenes, um, cool deaths. I really like the cockroach death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I I do really appreciate the effects in the final Freddy de- death sequence. Um, 
and all the souls are like kind of coming out of his body and stuff. It's it's real sensational. Highs and lows, but hey, it, there's enough fun stuff in this movie that you definitely could spend your time on worse entries in the franchise. So cue it. Patrick. It's a cue it for me as well, but I'm kind of coming from the opposite angle where I enjoyed it, but I can't quite recommend it. Uh, there's a lot that I love about this. There are some fun... Uh, dream sequences. I really like the character of Alice. She's very endearing to me. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a mess as well. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't work. And uh, it's, it's not something where I can just give it that emphatic, like, absolutely go check it out. Steven. I'm with Rowan uh, like a million percent on this movie. This is a view it. I I had not seen this before and I thought I had. It, it has really big energy. I liked the characters. I thought there was strong character work. The kills are very memorable. The suit up scene is like my new morning jam pretty much. <laughs> it's a total view. Uh, also, like, obscure fact, I want to throw this out. I was really delighted to see that William Kotzwinkel had a story by credit in this and Google this guy. He's had an insane career. He's written one of my favorite books, Dr. Rat, which I recommend anyone who's an animal lover to read. Um, it's it's a little disturbing, but um, he apparently came up with the Dream Master concept for this. Uh, what that means exactly, I don't know, but I thought <laughs> it was cool to see an underdog get such a, a big credit in a, in a movie. Um, yeah, it's a view for me. All right. Well, let's move on to A Nightmare on Elm Street. Five, the dream child, uh, oh, in which yeah. Alice Oof. becomes impregnated with uh, the dream child. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's the dream child, right? The titular dream child <laughs> is Alice's unborn child. The parentage of which is not very clear. It could be Freddie's child. It could be her boyfriend's child. It could be an immaculate conception. Who knows? I was got a uh, like, baby I, in there. I, I'm about to out myself as you know dumb for the second time in this podcast, but I was like so confused about whether or not that was her brother or her boyfriend, like between these two movies, and I was like shocked that they were in a relationship when this film started. Oh. I think oh, that just spe- I, I think that just speaks to how like dispensable and underdeveloped these characters are. Maybe I don't know. In the fourth one he was just kind of a background character. They mentioned him like twice and then you didn't really see him. Yeah. It was like one of those things that happens in a movie where you have like uh, a boy and a girl and they have a bunch of other friends and they all die. But then it's like, there's just a boy and a girl left over. And so they kiss at the end, even though they've had no chemistry the whole movie. Right. Okay. It was one of those. That makes me feel better. Yeah, and then this movie, it's like, oh, they're they're true loves, and they're they're having babies now. It's like, okay, well, well, that's great, but it's the dreams of the the fetus that are provoking Freddy in this one. Sure, I guess, right? That's that's kind of the twist that we get. I guess this movie really, I had a lot of trouble with this movie because, so you know, we haven't mentioned this line so far in this podcast, I don't think, but Freddy was the the bastard child of a hundred maniacs, and this movie like really <laughs> leans into the rape. And the like the the sort of like hereditary nature of his evil in like such a almost like Ken Russell kind of way. It's so weird. Like I honestly don't know what they were going for with this film. It yeah. was a lot yeah. to take in, and it was very disturbing to me at times. Well, and is this yeah. the one? Because I mean, again, like Rowan said, the four through six like sort of blend together so much for me. And I'm trying to recall now: is five the one where we actually see 
Like we're actually yes. in that scene with the the maniac surrounding his mom and the nun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, which isn't nearly as scary when you actually see it as it was when the nun just described it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not as scary, but it's more disturbing to see it. Like I don't know why this movie like really leans into like exploring that territory, <laughs> and I don't think it needed to be done. It felt like Here's kind of a the fucking problem. Let me blow your mind. Oh, oh. The problem with this whole fucking franchise is that Freddy Krueger is not the kind of thing that can really drive a franchise, at least as he was envisioned in the beginning. Like we said, he works best as an uh, mysterious boogeyman, ill-defined, in your dreams. He's, I think nearly as bad of a franchise carrier as Michael Myers. You can only do so much with him. Yeah, sure, but the movies were successful, and at this point, Freddy had become like a late-night TV staple. He was like a guest on late-night shows like as Freddy doing his quips and shit. They had to keep it going, but the ideas weren't there. So that's what you have to do. If you want to keep him going through six movies or however many you want to make, you got to, you know do something else with them. So we play up the quips, we play up the backstory, we play up the real Freddy, we play up the Thousand Maniacs thing, we play up the 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 child killer died in the fire thing. It's all just kind of a uh, distraction from what we should be getting off right Oh, I mean, I his mugging is out of control in this. Like, I mean, there are a few punchlines that he literally, like, looks into the camera to deliver. Like, yeah. it's so over the top. And Patrick and I were talking about this, too, because so this all traces back to Dream Warriors and the iconic line, welcome to primetime, bitch, when he puts the girl's head through the TV. That line should not have worked. It's a fucking fluke that that line kills as well as it does. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> but like, but because now- it worked on a fluke, they were like, oh, we're going to have him do this for every kill. More of that. Oh, yeah. They're like, Freddy is full on misogynist from this movie onward. Oh, yeah, he just calls everybody bitch, and and then they just were like, well, how can we kill him in a way where it ends with a pun? And they just really start forcing the puns. They put the Kruger in (laughs) Dunning-Kruger. Jesus. Chris, how how long have you been holding that in your back pocket? (laughs) A couple weeks, yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, like, this, yeah, this film definitely uh, desensitized me to the word bitch, because I don't think I've ever heard it used so much much yeah in like it's, it's, it's oh, just off just on me. just wait rowan just well wait. yeah this is <laughs> it true. gets worse later <laughs> it's rubbing off on me i i want to like go around and say bitch to everybody and I, I i have to remember that no that's like that's like gendered language that's offensive <laughs> and i was gonna say like when i once i saw this and i sorted out okay this is the movie it is i mean i think really to me the best way to describe this and they talk about it, uh, like, on the Blu-ray with the bonus features and stuff. Like, I think this is the Freddy film that, like, anyone that worked on it was embarrassed of. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, wow. New Line Cinema seemed to hate it. And this is kind of, you know, another thing that it, you're really playing with fire because um, Stephen Hopkins is the director of it, but he's not a director. He's an art director. Mm. Yeah. And they just basically were like, do you want to direct this horror film? Because visually, I think it really could have worked. It kind of has that cheesy, gothic, like, 90s look that I think could work. But I just don't think he was a strong enough director at the time to, you know, really 
help make this, you know, any better than it is, which I feel so sad about because I'm such a fan of Predator 2, which he directed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, me too. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah, this is. Yeah. Well, and it's 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 got big. This movie has big like Ken Russell energy in the visuals, but like I don't feel like he knew how to really like direct a script or direct yeah. actors. Well, and he um, himself was deeply great. disappointed with it. Like he has described it as a total embarrassment. Like that's a quote. And he said he can't watch it anymore. So yeah. Well, neither can I, I bet new line cinema really wishes they just took the West Craven script. And cause I was going to say throughout all this, I think it's important to remember that from four to pretty much six, Wes Craven was trying to get back on the franchise. Uh huh. And he had wrote a script that they just kept turning down. Cause I, in his, I've seen bits of people talk about it and it sounds super interesting. Cause I know he wanted to deal with time travel and dreams. That was like his concept. <laughs> Why not? That's the other thing. I mean, that's the other thing that makes Freddy the the franchise not very strong because if you limit the guy to like, oh, he kills you in your sleep, there's only so much you can do with that to like iterate on that, right? Yeah. So it's like, that's why we have to have increasing layers of weird rules about how people are dreaming, who's dreaming, (laughs) who's in the real world. But yeah, time travel. Fuck yeah. Yeah, Bob Shea has been quoted, uh, the producer of all these films has been quoted as saying that for every single one of these films, he went to Wes Craven first. Yeah. And rejected Wes Craven's scripts, which all sound incredible. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Because they had integrity, I think is the problem. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna have to dig into that. We need someone with a little less integrity. He just turned all those scripts into other into other movies. Uh, Ghostface was originally just a Freddy movie. Shut Uh, up. He he had a Freddy script about Freddy on a plane trying to get a woman to to kill her dad. It was a movie where Freddy was a werewolf and they wanted to do a practical, but the studio decided it should be CGI. Yeah, it was a whole big deal. Yeah. I mean, I will throw in one positive note about this movie. I liked the comic book death sequence i mean it was it was silly but you yes i liked it i liked that they built a black and white set and then had the characters walking through it in color costumes that was fun that was cool was that how they did that yeah (laughs) it was super cool that's one of my favorite kills of the whole series and also i know the interviews with uh robert england he said that's what sold him on coming back to the series for this film was that scene was described bullshit. to him. Robert Englund's a bullshitter. What got him to come back for 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 Nightmare on Elm Street six? Then <laughs> such animosity towards this scene, Chris. Jeez. All right. Well, I think we've uh, about beat that one to death. Uh, let's review it. I would screw this one. I would absolutely screw this one. I, Chris, you you uh, described your experience watching the previous film, having to start and stop it at various points. Yeah, this one was really hard to get through. That's all I have to say. Patrick, would you view it, cure it, or screw it? It's a screw it for me, too. I mean, as I mentioned, there's a, a few things in it that I like, but it's by far the dullest installment in the series up to this point and you know interestingly it kind of reminds me of our experience with uh another franchise we watched through for the podcast halloween where just as it goes on they start burdening the character and us with backstory and flashbacks that you just or at least i just don't give a fuck about you know this has Mm -hmm. kind of like halloween six 
energy to it, except without the like weird, fun, punchy spirit that Halloween Six had. I don't know. It's it's just starting to kind of collapse under its own weight at this point. Uh, Chris, yeah, screw it from me. Um, it, the formula is getting stale. Freddy is drying out. Uh, he, he still will be drier still in the next film, oh but he's God. almost to his driest point in the franchise. And I just didn't like it. There's some things that could have been something. I did not mind as much as I talk shit on backstory. I did not mind sort of the gothic elements and, and the nunneries and the weird little baby carriages and stuff. I was ready to go there. I was ready for them to give me the nun, but with Freddy in it. Um, they didn't do that. Instead, it was just a mess, just a mess to follow and not that much fun not much i mean really there's nothing that really even stands out in my mind is like oh that was a cool moment except for the potential i had at the beginning of the movie where i was like that a new nightmare on elm street movie what are they going to show me and for the first like 10 minutes i was on board with this movie and interested to see where it went didn't pay off screw it rowan i think we're unanimous here yeah this is this is my first screw it of the franchise Mm -hmm. and i think kind of like you chris on four like man this was hard to watch like i just found myself fighting to not just like look at my phone and do something else while it was playing as much as i love like the uh the black and white comic book death that's pretty much the only memorable thing for me i just think it needed to be in the hands of someone more capable uh so definitely a screw it i would i wouldn't watch this again probably for a long time (laughs) all right well that's nightmare on elm street 5 and that brings us to nightmare on elm street 6 which at last promises us that freddy's dead and i would say is also most notable for uh the really great cameos by roseanne barr and tom arnold (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I had seen this film several times before and patrick you and i talked about this a bit last night i had completely forgotten that they were (laughs) (laughs) that was also Johnny Depp. Yep. Yeah, Johnny Depp is back. Yeah. Looking 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 worse, aka older. Nightmare on Elm Street Six, Freddy's Dead, in which Freddy is not dead for the whole fucking movie. Uh he dies at the end, which just means I guess they just put the spoiler to the movie in the in the title. I, I'm not sure. I guess they could call it the death of Freddy. Well, no, it's it's riffing on the Curtis Mayfield song. Oh right. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Well, that's, yeah. a, that's a that's a deep cut. Good thing, good thing, Freddy's arms do that thing because that is a stretch. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. There's so many connections between this and Superfly, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is it is an inner city story. <laughs> inner city story with with some pretty serious drugs. Uh, one of them being is does Hypnosil appear in this film at all? Oh yeah, Hypnosil, and I love I love Hypnosil. That's a great. Great. Thing. Oh, you can actually. I found this like boutique retailer online where you can like order. I mean, I could just fucking make one, but you can order like a bottle of Hypnosil, like a little toy thing, which yeah, I want to yeah. have in my bathroom just to surprise guests, get them to ask questions. Yeah, anyone who's nosy enough to like go through your medicine cabinet and Google your prescriptions <laughs> will. Oh no, I'm just gonna leave fright. it like right next to the sink, <sighs> like I do with the rest of my drugs. Perfect. Just see what happens. This one really uh, fucks with the timeline quite a bit because it's uh, set some period of time, I think completely undefined in the film, so 
long after the events of the previous ones that like basically people have started to forget who Freddy is. Or no, wait, you know what? I'm fucking this up. I'm mixing this up with Freddy versus Jason. But it's it's the same thing. There's no children left. There's no children left in 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 uh, in town. What the hell's the name of the town? I forgot. Springwood. 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 There's no children left in Springwood, so you just have all these like uh, depressed boomers who are walking around like <laughs> losing their minds because they need children in town to keep them stable. I don't even know what to make of this movie, guys. What a mess. I mean, it's just a fucking unique phenomenon, this movie. It is such a sleepy movie with so many lapses in logic. Like, I don't know what's a dream, what's not a dream. It's crazy. I was telling this to Patrick last night. I used to do this thing with my my best friend in um, in grade school where we did our own, like, mystery science theater, and I would set up my camera in my room, and we would sit in chairs in front of the screen and, like, watch a bad movie and record it and, like, joke about it. And this was the first movie we did. I might still have that VHS someday. Like, it is, it is fucking terrible. Terrible. There is something like every 30 seconds in this movie where I'm like, how did this make it from script to screen? This is the first movie I saw of this franchise. Oh, oof. Oh, wow. Yes. I saw this when I was like 10 at a, a birthday sleepover in the middle of a blizzard. Wow. And and my uh, my friend was a... They were from Japan. They had just recently moved. And his father didn't know, like, what rated R meant. <laughs> wow. So he, he was tasked to rent a movie for, like, 10-year-old children, and this is what he brought back. <laughs> wow. I mean, of all the rated R movies that existed <laughs> at that time, I am so disappointed in his choice. Yeah. You could have had so much more fun at that sleepover. <laughs> As you say, also, like... Of note, this is the uh, first film, I think the only film in the series, directed by a woman. That's true. And she she was a producer throughout the franchise. I almost have a theory about that. This is not based in any logic, is almost certainly incorrect. But let me tell you what crossed my mind watching this and sure. trying to, you know, my mind just absolutely fucking reeling, <laughs> trying to come up with an explanation for what I was seeing in this film. Um, so it was, yeah, the first film that was directed by a woman. And it starts off right off the bat. There's a guy on a plane, he's having a nightmare. The woman next to him says, don't be a pussy in kind of a weird way. There's something else that's like kind of like gendered or misogynistic at the beginning of this movie. And I thought, you know what? Maybe this is a female director at the helm who's been pissed off that they turned Freddy into such a raving misogynist in all these movies. And she just wants to burn down this fucking franchise and troll the fan base. I know she said that when she was making this film that she would get like memos all the time that would be like, don't make it too girly and like, don't make it so sensitive. And <laughs> she she said she really got some uh, misogynistic vibes from the higher ups while she made this. So maybe so. she's just salt in the earth and saying, fine, you know what? This is your Freddy now. And it's, it's a fucking Looney Tune. <laughs> and it sucks. This is your Freddy now, and it sucks. The dream sequences and deaths in this are by far the most disappointing in the whole franchise, and by far the most mean-spirited. Like, we've got a scene where he's fucking with 
a hearing impaired person and it goes on for oh, so long. And, you know, we were talking before about kind of how nasty some of the deaths in three are. And, and I was talking about, you know, how I think you're supposed to identify and sympathize with the characters more and, and for the point to be like what an asshole Freddy is. And in this one, I mean, mm. he's being an asshole, but I think you're kind of supposed to be like enjoying and, and laughing at the ways he's coming up with to fuck with this hearing impaired person. And it's really upsetting, kind of gross, you know? I want to say, Patrick, that's that sequence really stood out to me as well, and I, I didn't know how to feel. I went through like a whirlwind of emotions, and I don't feel like the direction was strong enough that I really understood what stance the film was trying to take on that. Like at first, I thought, okay, this is a more sensitive, like culturally, Freddy movie, and like we're gonna highlight, you know, characters with disabilities. I mean, these kids are all fucked up in different ways, even more so than the protagonists in the previous entries. And yet I still felt like they were being exploited to varying degrees in those kill sequences. Oh, yeah. Or like the video game sequence where Freddy is basically playing one of the one of the characters like he's a video game. Long hair Brecken Myers. Yeah. Like <laughs> goes on forever. And that one feels, I guess, less mean spirited. But it's just that it just seems like they thought they had a brilliant gimmick and they were like, oh, let's just really go for this and it just goes on and on and on yeah i was gonna say i think the the only real good thing this film did was uh give us a yathic kodo yes in it yes i was Fuck i was yeah. so pumped i forgot he was in this and i was just like yes yeah literally one of my notes is just yafet in like all caps <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited to see him in the credits, but even he seems to be, like, sleepwalking through this movie. I mean, he's a wonderful actor. I've enjoyed so many of his performances, but I feel like even he doesn't know what kind of movie he's in at times. Yeah. I will say I I did, uh, I don't know if I'm in the minority on this, but I did actually enjoy the the flashback stuff in this one more so than any of the other stuff. I really like, I mean, it's not that, you know, I'm not crazy. I don't love people choking their wives out, but I loved (laughs) the contrast of how dark it was, but everything was very brightly lit. It was bright colors. Uh We're getting that, like, picture-perfect 50s suburban look in their home, but he's doing these, like, atrocious things and treating his family, you know, like complete garbage. And I thought that was really effective. And, And like I said, I just think it was probably the most effective backstory work for me almost in the whole series i do i do appreciate the visual aesthetic of that i appreciate your perspective on that i was really distracted though that whole sequence because of the context where it's like we have this our protagonist who i guess was freddie's daughter and apparently lived with him until she was like six years old but has no memory of it You can't think too hard, or it, or it just falls apart. Even, yeah, even when she like learns who Freddy is, she doesn't like nothing. <laughs> none of this rings a bell to her. <laughs> I think indefinitely. Like I know, uh, I know. Like if you watch interviews with the director and stuff, she talks about. It, but I, I definitely when I saw it the first couple times, I remember thinking, man. This really feels like Twin Peaks. So then to find out that that was her main influence. Oh, for real? 
yeah, she uh, she talks about that when they were writing and starting to make this was like Twin Peaks was on, and she mm. was like, that's all we were thinking about and talking about. So when we get the shots of like all the adults in Springwood just being really bizarre, yeah, she was like, I was just trying to like literally make it Twin Peaks esque. Wow. My mind is blown because that is the effect of it, but it feels accidental in the yeah, in the yeah. finished film. But holy shit, that makes so much sense. Hmm. <laughs> See, uh, imagine uh, amazing what a little benefit of the doubt can do. <laughs> <laughs> the other insane thing about this movie that I didn't even realize until Stephen pointed it out is that it's in 3D. And when I finally realized it, I was like oh, that makes so much sense because this movie is throwing fucking like CGI space worms at your face in the end. And when Freddy finally dies, like multiple Freddy faces explode out of his face and fly towards the screen. It's so insane and fucking stupid. And my understanding is, and I've not done a ton of research on this, but it's only 3D for like the back half because there are- Like once she puts on the glasses. Yes, it's very they live. (laughs) She puts the glasses on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, like the movie tells you when to put the glasses on, and I think Yafet Koto says like, like she she's like initially resistant to it, and he's like, no, no, they they can be they can mean whatever you want them to mean in the dream world, and it's such right. a stupid fucking gimmick, but it speaks to the fact that this franchise had diminishing returns at the box office. They had to come up with some new quirky thing to get yeah. people interested in seeing these movies. Yeah, I mean, uh, as has been done with so many movies, where you throw 3D in as a gimmick for a flagging franchise you know i mean friday the 13th did that final destination did yeah that, you know so many have done that avatar you know fuck yeah. you <laughs> <laughs> wow that was so just delicately placed patrick I appreciate yeah that's a good that's a good troll but no i don't know it's really frustrating because time you know time and time again all you gotta do is take a break and come back with like a decent movie and you'll revive your franchise yeah Hasn't happened yet. <laughs> the 3D, I think, really held it back, too, because I know I, I keep just saying the director, but her name's Rachel uh, Talela, who, shout out to Canada, she's actually a film professor at uh, University of British Columbia. Wow. Oh, sick. So it's y'all's fault. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> but, but like, I know that she has said on record that, like, she hates the ending of the film. She hates the kills of the film. But she she just said like her hands were tied on it and that they were really stuck like with the 3D because they couldn't do any of the cool practical special effects they wanted to originally do because they're like, no, you got to do stuff for the 3D. Mm. And like Mm. she just said because of the time period, like the cameras were so large and she was just like you had the camera there and you couldn't really move it. It just had to sit there. So it was like you would just turn on, and whatever they did, it had to be in front of the camera. Mm. The 3D, I think, really ruined it. Yeah. Well, I will throw in as one positive note. This is the film that I alluded to earlier as my favorite soundtrack of the series. Um, We've got a lot of nice, like, 90s uh, sort of alt-rock vibes. There's a couple Goo Goo Dolls songs on here that fucking slap. There's a band that I had not been previously aware of called uh, the Junk Monkeys that has a very replacements-esque kind of vibe going on and are actually from Dearborn, which is right near us here in Michigan. And there's an Iggy Pop song. Just a lot of good tunes on this. I've actually turned it on a few times and listened to it since I've seen the movie. 
this was an era when Iggy Pop was doing title songs for cult movies. I mean, he did Repo Man too. A oh few yeah, years before. Yeah. Um, really surprised to hear that. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like we're spending more time on these perplexingly as we're going along, even though they're getting worse <laughs> and worse. So let's uh, let's go ahead and review this. Rowan, do you want to go first this time? Sure. So uh, as much jive as I talked about this film, uh, I'm going to give it a cue it. I think it's a nostalgia thing. I'll blame it on that. Like I said, since it was the first one I saw, um, you guys talked about the hearing aid death. That like death has always stuck out to me in this franchise just because it was like one of the first ones I saw. And, uh, and you know, long hair Brecken Myers always kind of throws me off as well. <laughs> I'll give it a cue it. Uh, you, you know, if you don't watch it, you're not missing anything. Patrick, how about you? Uh, it's definitely a screw it for me. There's just really nothing I can think of to recommend this movie for other than the soundtrack, which I just gave some props. Uh, it's just quite an inauspicious end to, you know, the, the franchise proper, which of course there's Freddy versus Jason after this, but this was intended to be the end. It's the final actual nightmare on Elm street. Not a great way to go. Um, Chris. Yeah, this shit really goes out with a whimper. I thought I was going to screw this movie with prejudice, which is a rare thing for me, but uh, knowing that some of the stupidness was deliberate because of Twin Peaks influence has softened my position on that, so I'll just give it a straight-up screw it. Everything's bad. I'm trying to think of a a silver lining I can put on this. I'm trying to look for some optimism here. I can't. It's it's not funny. It really tries to be funny. It doesn't work. Freddy is is a... specter of his former self he doesn't even look like freddy if you fucking if you google image uh, search him with the power glove from the incredible video game sequence you'll see not only is he completely dry he looks like <laughs> mel brooks or something he doesn't even look like robert england anymore your preoccupation with freddy's moistness is fascinating well, and it, giving me life it, it it really hit home for me uh when i was watching this power glove sequence i'm like what looks wrong here he's just he just looks not and then i watched i, I watched him out of order too i watched the second one after i'd watched several of these so seeing nightmare 2 again and realizing how wet he was and how much better it was anyway <laughs> we should also note right now for the listening audience we're, we're on zoom of course right now and my zoom name is wet freddy and steven's zoom name is completely dry freddy yeah <laughs> i've been changing it throughout the episode to reflect chris's viewpoint yeah. so no i'd screw it absolutely screw it and uh steven would you like to be the next one to screw it I would. I I, I was going to give it a cue before I saw it again, because as I mentioned before, I have a history of loving this as just a bad movie, like a fun movie to watch with friends. I was 13 or 14 when I saw this and did that MST3K thing. This is just bad. It's not even entertaining. This was a complete slog to get through. Um, I like what you said, Chris, like this franchise definitely went out with a whimper. Um, It's just... 
fuck this movie screw it. all this backstory they add to like again real simple concept all right guys the guy was killing kids the townspeople burned him alive he still haunts their dreams leave us at that now we have these fucking dream demon snake ghosts that like appeared to freddy the man in his final moments and we're like hey buddy would you like to live forever would you like to make a deal <laughs> with the other side and he's like yes yes i would i want the power <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I will. I will give this movie a view it for um, just for one sequence, which is the very Jim Henson Dream Door sequence, where like the the like the Dream Door thing that Yafet talks about that painting on his wall and they come alive for yeah. a minute. That was legitimately awesome. But the rest of this is balls. It's terrible. Oh God, so bad. All right. Well, let's uh, move into what I think will be somewhat happier territory for at least some of us and discuss Wes Craven's New Nightmare, the uh, the meta installment in the franchise in which uh, Heather Langenkamp plays herself uh, being plagued by a scarier, more real-life uh, sort of Freddy as you know they attempt to get a New Nightmare on Elm Street film going within the reality of the movie. Wes Craven's new goddamn nightmare. I love it. This Dream Warriors and the original are kind of the the three that I keep in my head canon for Nightmare on Elm Street, and they work really good together because you have uh, Heather Langenkamp and all of them, and, and they kind of refer to those movies. I, I I have to say, like I'm I'm jumping like right into review it mode, but I had a, a huge fondness for this movie from. My childhood, again, my friend Dan, who, you know, was a huge horror hound and introduced me to all the all the great stuff. I was really excited to see this again. I found it to be, after like 20 minutes, really kind of sleepy and sloggy and kind of boring. Like, I love the concept, but it did not hold up for me. I was going to say, I, I was kind of in the same boat. Because I think any other time I've watched this, I've kind of watched it by itself without, you know going through all of them and I remember really liking it and you know how meta it is but I think as I marathoned them all I really was coming to appreciate the like no more than an hour and 29 minute runtime. oh that's real yeah and this one I just I I just feel like it could have been shaved down a bit yeah I've also always been kind of an outlier on this movie I've seen it three times and I appreciate the concept. It's a cool concept that always appeals to me on paper, but I don't know. There's something about the movie itself that I don't know. I don't want to call it bad by any stretch. It just has always kind of failed to fully engage me. And there are things I like in it. Absolutely. I love the new design for Freddie. I would argue he's actually quite dry in this film, but he's very scary looking uh, I like the new aesthetic. I like the way the film kind of uh, references the weird hero worship pop culture cult that's arisen around Freddy in real life and the way um, Craven seems to be commenting on on uh, how that has happened with his creation over time. But I don't know. There's just something about it that has never quite fully turned the dial for me. I I am honored to be the person in this chat who will defend this movie with my dying breath. I love it. We can talk about how it's meta as if it's like a, a superficial attribute of the movie, but it's this is a movie that's about so much stuff, and it's about it in such an earnest and heartfelt way that it, it moves me. 
uh, every time I see it. I mean, it's a movie about, and a lot of it's based in, in real life stuff. It's about Wes Craven returning to the franchise after, and, and, and how the franchise got out of his control and the ramifications of that. It's about Heather Langenkamp and her uh, experiences with fame and, and being a part of this thing. It's about the horror genre in general. It's about showing horror movies to your kids if you should be doing it. It's about the creative process. It's about filmmaking. It's about the nature of horror movies themselves and how they act as an outlet for fears and things like that. It's just about all this stuff in something that's just uh, unconventional. It has a very unconventional narrative, but it all just feels so true to me. And even things that don't make logical sense in the end, like how she comes out of the world, she comes out of the, 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 the dream world, if you will. And, and is, you know, in the falling action, she's got the, the script of the movie that we just watched on her bedroom floor and starts reading it aloud to her kid. Like that's such a, it doesn't make logical sense, but it just feels right in the movie. And it's, there's no other movie like this. And I just love that everything works as well as it does for me. So, I mean, you make me almost want to go back and give it another shot again, which is how I feel every time I've revisited this movie. I'm always like, Oh, this is, you know, generally really well-received, very acclaimed. Um, you know, maybe I missed something last time. It does sound like a cool concept, but here's my problem with it. You know, you say that it's about all those things, and to me, I don't know that it's about all those things. There are individual scenes that reference all those different concepts you mentioned, but I don't know that it ever really forms a complete thought or a complete statement on any of those things. You know, we could we could point to, there's the scene in the limo, obviously, where the, the limo driver's like, oh, to Heather Langenkamp, you know, oh, you're the you're the girl you're the one from that movie and like it's an interesting scene but what does the movie actually execute on that theme like it doesn't really go much deeper than that fairly superficial scene which is an interesting one but it doesn't have a a more profound idea at its core than any of these individual semi-interesting scenes it's a role and i I wish we could talk for an hour and a half about this because i would argue (laughs) with you guys all day but it's it's a role that has profoundly shaped heather langenkamp's life and not always for the better and something that at least in the narrative of the movie i don't know what her i don't think i don't think that she is averse to being nancy in in real life but in the in the movie she is uh this is something that she's kind of trying to distance herself from people see her as nancy she doesn't like it the only way for her to find peace with all the different aspects of her life is to lean into it and be like i guess i'm just fucking nancy and that's who i am has to play nancy one last time i gotta play nancy one last time it all comes together now i will say the execution not always great. There's some stuff that's cheesy. I'm not really a fan of when, you know, the, the kids like walking across the freeway and Freddy's in the clouds. Like <laughs> that doesn't work for me. But but the the things that are poorly executed for me don't nearly uh, aren't nearly large enough to take away from everything I think this movie does well. Oh, to me, that freeway scene is horrifying, actually. I I think it's actually quite well executed because you think that kid's going to get hit by a fucking truck like multiple times. Like, I think it's very well put together. When Freddy shows up in the clouds, I think that's quite silly and out of place with the general tone of the movie. But I I do like when he's just wandering around. I mean, I don't like it, but I mean, it's it's very well done. It's gripping to me. I always think of the freeway scene as kind of a homage 
Because, you know, the child that plays Heather's son is the same kid that played Gage in the original Pet Cemetery. Oh, mm. no fucking way. Yeah. So the, the original creepy kid of the 80s. So, you know, I kind of hoped he was going to get hit. But <laughs> <laughs> you sick fuck, I love it. I, I was going to say, I think one of my biggest problems with this film was I already got kind of boring slasher Freddy in two, and I've spent the rest of the franchise getting, like, ridiculous Freddy, and then I just, I thought the kills are kind of, like, subpar on this one. I You know, I'm always big on my, like, my kills in my movies, and... I guess the glove at the beginning, like, I was kind of just, like, whatever with it, where it's like, oh, the the glove's alive by itself killing people, or... I expected more in a Nightmare on Elm Street movie by now. I need fantastical, and I, ju- I just don't think I'm ever in the mindset for Freddy being so real. Well, yeah, the, the kills aren't sensational, but they're happening in real life now. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, that's why it's so scary. Even though it's still a movie, it feels like real life. You know, something else that's interesting, you mentioned that the kills and, and the lavishness of the kills. I noticed that, you know, as the movies go on, Freddy's finger knives kind of become less and less important, and it kind of makes me sad. Uh, it reminds me of the, the Hitman video games, because back in the day, the fiber wire, you strangle people with it, and it was like the best way to kill somebody, and then they've completely gotten away from that, where now it's like, it's just there as an accessory, and that's kind of what happened to Freddy's finger knives, you know? He doesn't just go around stabbing people anymore. He <laughs> He, he'll, he'll slash what are you some talking shit. talking about? What are you talking about? Now? I'm living for this analogy. <laughs> he slashes with the finger knife, so like as a calling card, like when you wake up and there's the four marks on your pillow, and you're like, uh oh. But like in terms of killing you, he's not gonna Uh-oh. ever. He's not ever gonna kill you with the fucking finger knives. He's gonna turn you into a fucking cockroach. He's gonna put you in the glue trap, and then he's gonna crush the the glue trap. So the moral of this whole episode really is: we need to get back to strangling. people people with wire <laughs> yeah. yeah um i my problem with this movie is like on paper i fucking love it and as a teenager i loved it but so freddy's in the real world now but the real world doesn't feel like the real world it's not a world i can relate to it's like even west craven's house in this movie like there's no way west craven lives in a house that looks like that <laughs> that pool is fantastic it's this heightened la you know, earthquakes are happening constantly and like, oh God, like our work lives are seeping into our personal lives, which I think a lot of us can relate to now, you know, with COVID, but it just doesn't ever feel grounded to me. It feels very silly and very staged and honestly kind of boring. Like I don't like spending, you know, an hour and 45 minutes or whatever this is like dealing with like white people problems like i have enough of them my own like it's a great concept that kind of fizzles out after the first 20 or so minutes for me well also on that note of grounded versus silly you know as i mentioned i do like craven's efforts to bring freddie back to the legitimately scary concept that he originally had in mind and i think he succeeds with that visually but Freddie is still making some dumb jokes in this, which I thought was very not in keeping with this new concept that felt kind of strange to me. I thought it was really bizarre that I thought uh, Heather couldn't play herself. I just, I, I wasn't really buying it. I thought it was like very soap opera acting. 
and yes. not in a good way. And I'm like, if anything, you should be able to play like a version, this version of yourself in your life. Because, I mean, she experienced, you know, the stalkers and all this kind of stuff. And I just I just didn't buy it. I thought it was a really bad performance by her. See, to me, this is actually this is my favorite of her performances in the franchise, I think. But that was that was your hot take. Though Rowan, well, you, you, that you and, previewed that hot take that's right. early. That and yeah. I say less uh, Robert Che in the film and more Lin Che. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, always, always. All right. Well, we should keep things moving. We got two more movies to get through, so let's go ahead and review this. Chris, this is your movie. What's your rating? This is my movie, and this is my view. It, and I've already told you why. I, I think it's really a, a beautiful movie and very unique uh, in the horror landscape. And it works, maybe not perfectly, but a lot better than it should. Rowan, so I'm uh, I'm gonna give it a screw it, and not necessarily because I don't think anyone should see it, but I do have my problems with it, and I just think for the franchise. I don't consider this an essential viewing for this franchise. This would probably be the last one I'd go for. I'd probably even watch five over this one. The runtime is a little painful. By the time we get to Freddy actually being any sort of Freddy, I just felt I was already bored. Sorry, guys. All right, well, I'll go next. Um, I uh, will give it a cue it. There's a lot that I do like about it. it. I think, in a way, it works more as sort of a series of scenes to me. There are a lot of individual scenes that I like in this movie, but I, I don't know. For some reason, it just doesn't cohere, even though I, again, have this strange relationship with it where I really want to like it so much more than I do and want it to sort of work for me more than it does. And I just almost feel like I'm missing something each time I see it. But I don't know. Never is quite stuck with me. So cue it. Steven. Yeah, I'm going to give it a screw it. This movie blew my fucking mind when I first saw it as a teenager, and it didn't hold up. It's pretty sleepy. It's pretty boring. Like, I think as a teenager, it felt like seeing a Godard movie for the first time. You know, it's like contempt or something. It's like breaking down sort of cinematic archetypes in like a really like fresh and fascinating way that you don't expect to see in a movie. Uh, but seeing it now, it just, I don't know. There's not much to like about it. Like it was very slow, pretty hard screwed on this one. I just can't believe I'm the only view it on that one. I'm amazed as well. But you know, you listeners out there who love this movie, you know who your guy is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We are nearing the end. Let's, bring it home or at least start bringing it home with Freddy versus Jason. You don't need any more explanation than that. It's Freddy. He's back. He's up against Jason. Yeah. It's all the premise we need. Freddy versus Jason. And, and uh, Kelly Rowland's in it. Oh yes. (laughs) I will say, unlike say, uh, Batman V Superman, Dawn of justice, this movie does a pretty good job of, of working with the premise. Freddy yes. vs. Jason. You get quite a bit of Freddy vs. Jason. It takes too long, kinda... though. It takes way yeah, too long to get there. That, that's true. There is a lot of world building and everything, but I actually didn't mind the world building because it was like, I thought, a pretty difficult task for them to come up with a movie that combined the universes of both the franchises as evenly and as effectively as it does. Oh God, I couldn't disagree more. I, I want to say to our listeners, check out the best movies never made podcast. 
uh, it's a, it's a couple of uh, very prominent screenwriters and producers, and they didn't they did I think it might be a series of episodes called Freddy versus Jason versus Ash, uh. where they break down. I mean, it had been like a decade in the making this final throwdown, and they break down every script they could find that was in development at some point of like what this was going to be, and all of them are better than what we wound up with. It's a fucking mess. Oh. I totally agree with Chris. I think this is just about the best version of this that you could do if you're going to do Freddy versus Jason. I am really interested to listen to that podcast Stephen mentioned because I'm I'm always fascinated by you know sort of blockbuster movies that did, never got made, and I'm curious to know what the other incarnations of this looked like. But I mean, yeah, it does take a while to get to the actual Freddy versus Jason throwdown, but you don't want a whole movie of these two like going after each other. You got to build up to that, and I think it does a pretty serviceable job of doing that. Got a bunch of lame teen characters in it who you don't give a shit about, but you know, who who cares? And by the time you get to that final half hour, what a blast. I have a great time with that final throwdown. Oh, God. I'm quoting the movie, but this movie uses the term retarded. This movie uses the word faggot. This movie uses the word bitch to refer to women more often than any other movie in this franchise. To the point where at the end, it's like every minute or three, Freddie is saying bitch. Um, it's racist. Very racist. I mean, I don't even know if I want to quote <laughs> the particular line at the end of it. Like, yeah, it's fun to see these two, you know, being pitted against each other, but it's so nasty and mean-spirited in the end that I just, I can't get behind it. I mean, it is also worth noting that the female protagonist turns the bitch thing back on Freddie at the end and says, uh, I think the line is welcome to my world, bitch, after she finally dispatches him. Yeah, and then she gets killed by Jason. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. But, you know, this is a movie, this is in that, like, period of, like, 2000s movies where they were just like, that's how you be funny in a movie. You just say really vile shit about minorities. Yeah, and that's that's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay. I'm not making excuses for it. I'm trying to evaluate the construction, I guess, of the movie and the challenge that it took on and how well it executed it and I guess those trappings of the fact that it's just kind of offensive. While I'm sensitive to that and I agree with you, just kind of don't figure into my calculus of of that. Well, those are the least of my problems with this movie. Like, the biggest (laughs) problem is that the final throwdown is fucking lame. Like, when it comes down to it, what we get is just the fact that it's not very exciting to see these two (laughs) characters fight each other. Oh, I disagree so strongly. I mean, when they drag Freddy out into the real world, you got this heavy metal music cue, and I am amped in that moment and then they have this big fight there's this big silly slapstick thing that's going on where it's basically like a live action looney tune in a construction site you get freddy going after jason with jason's machete you finally get jason stabbing freddy with freddy's own glove i'm just what else can you ask for what else? i can't ask for anymore i never asked for any of this but what i got was not exciting for me you asked for it you asked for it when you press play on a movie called freddy vs jason <laughs> well because i had to because we have a podcast <laughs> and we have to review these movies <laughs> well listen though we rowan hasn't gotten in on this at all rowan this is your favorite we're crossing over into your favorite franchise yeah. now friday the 13th so what's your take uh well i was gonna say i mean this this movie is definitely so 2000s that it hurts it's just like edgelord (laughs) 2000s from music to all the very questionable racist sexist things in it it's been a little while since i've seen this one but this is the one like 
I remember going to the theater multiple times and seeing when it came out, just being pumped. I, like, I went and saw this for the first time. when I saw it opening night with my mom. That's how excited we were about it. Oh, cute. And I will say, like, watching it now, I oh, I was like, I don't know if me liking this was a good take. I think <laughs> I think this film proved why CGI is just not made for these kinds of films. The CGI is really dated, and it was simple things like pools of blood behind dead bodies that they CGI'd that just looked terrible when yes. they could have just had an actor lay in a pool of fake blood and it would look awesome. I also think that it kind of... I think it hurt them not to have Kane Hodder as Jason. I, I totally understand that they were worried about the size of Jason. They wanted to make sure it was someone that was very large. I just didn't think he was that great of a Jason. Not that it's a hard job, but I I just I, I wasn't getting the Jason vibes that I love from it. And I don't know if that's from I, I can't remember the director's name of this. Ronnie, Ronnie U. U. Ronnie yeah. yeah, Ronnie U. And I mean anything I've ever seen of him talk about this is that he was really excited to make it. But he didn't really seem to appreciate either of the franchises. Like, he didn't really care. He, I know in one interview I watched, he was kind of like, I watched the first Friday the 13th, the first Nightmare on Elm Street, and said, okay, that's where my ideas are going to come from. And I just feel like in the hands of, like, you know, not that he would do something like this, but like someone of like a Mike Flanagan or like someone that really is in horror. Yeah, Mike Flanagan could do it. Freddie and Jason would both be taking care of a little boy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it definitely wouldn't be him. But I mean, I just feel like it needs someone that's got that horror that is rooted in horror and like lives for these franchises. I just, yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about uh, weed-smoking CGI Worm Freddy. Oh, my God. Rowan, <laughs> I, I saw this movie opening night in theaters <laughs> on my birthday. Like, my friends and I went into it, like, to make fun of it, and we upset people in the audience. But I remember even at the time howling in laughter at how bad the CGI of that that, that worm centipede sequence looked. It's just, it's awful. At at the end of the day, though, it feels like this was not made by somebody who has any deep love for either of these franchises. I mean, maybe not a deep love, but certainly love and respect, because, I mean, this movie kind of bends over backwards to kind of honor the chronology, at least of the Nightmare franchise. I don't know what Friday the 13th franchise is like, but, you know, they start off, they're, like, both dead at the beginning. They got a lot of heavy lifting to do. They got to, like, bring them back from the dead. They got to introduce them to each other. You got to have a motivation for why they would want to fight each other, Yeah, (laughs) which kind of takes a lot of time to set up. Then you got to get over the fact that, like, Freddy and Jason, like you said, have such a size and power differential. So, you know, Jason gets gets his ass kicked in the dream world that makes sense then you gotta bring him into the real world but here's here's the main thing i've been arguing with people about this since 2003 who (laughs) wins who wins the fucking fight and there's a right answer and a wrong answer i'm gonna be fucking pissed off if i have to explain it to any of you i i'm afraid to answer frankly (laughs) i i disagree that there's a right and a wrong answer i mean the entire point is that it's essentially a draw which isn't even over at the end of the movie 
All right, I'll, exp- I'll I'll respect that. Um, I'll respect that opinion because you know, 2003. I was in high school. People were like, "Oh yeah, Jason won. He walks off with Freddy's head." Well, no. For all intents and purposes, it's a stalemate. They both die, but when Freddy dies, he ends up in the dreamland. When Jason dies, he ends up in the bottom of the fucking lake. And because he's walking off with Freddy's head, and Freddy's head winks at us, it tells us that oh. Jason's in the fucking dreamland. Freddy's going to be able to have his way with Jason till the end of time. Oh, uh, well, that's a take. I I had never read that as taking place in the dream world, but okay. Yep. And I was going to say, and let's be real. If this movie had a got made when it was supposed to get made, I mean, Ash would have won easy. Dude, I want so much to see that sequel that was supposed to happen, the Ash versus Freddy versus Jason, because if you're going to continue this and if you're going to have a character come in and hopefully, presumably, like, fuck both of these two over finally and and, and kind of probably poke some fun at both franchises at the same time, I want to see Ash do it. That sounds like fun. Or I just want to see the movie where, like, Jason is, you know, going on a road trip with fucking Freddy's head, like, driving around the country. It would be so fun to see, like, Ash is, like, the bumbling but, like, totally, like, motivated hero at the end of the day. It'd just be like, like, okay, Freddy and Jason are fighting and he just comes out with the chainsaw and, like, blows both their heads off, like, in the middle of yeah. the battle. Just as, yeah. like, a, a surprise technique. That would have been awesome. What Hell we yeah. get is just so bland. Well... Let's review it. <laughs> I think I just did. I want to see Freddy versus Jason versus Jay. <laughs> yes. All right, Steven, um, please blow our minds with your review. Oh, this is a total screw it. Again, back to Freddy's what? Dead. Like, this was a movie that I highly enjoyed when it came out because I went in laughing at it and it was fun for a night but watching it again was a complete slog i mean there's like 40 almost 45 minutes of just banal teen drama before we get the final throwdown and i found the final like battle to be very silly like when freddy's like launching the fucking co2 tanks at at jason it just seemed i don't know it seemed goofy and lazy and like kind of sad i was like this is not what i imagined when i thought of these two titans getting together i didn't expect them to have to use like like props from a construction site to fight each other <laughs> so hard screw it for me uh chris uh i'm gonna give it a cue it you know is it great no but uh it's fun enough especially if you follow either of these franchises what more can you say it says Frey versus jason you get Frey versus jason I wasn't expecting fucking Shakespeare. (laughs) Cue it. (laughs) Patrick. You know what? I'm going to give this a view it. And it's not a view it like, you know, an across the board absolute recommendation to anyone of it being like a good movie or anything. But in that classic sense that I bring up quite often where it's like you're thinking about watching a movie called Freddy versus Jason, should you watch it? Yeah, absolutely. Because in my mind, gives you everything you could ask for out of this clash. I, I liked what Chris said before about the way it, you know, goes through all that heavy lifting of getting both these two back from the dead fucking again, setting up a reason for them to have some kind of conflict or motivation to, to be pitted against each other. And, you know, as I've said already, the final 30, 40 minutes, that battle is a fucking blast to me. Um, so yeah, view it, Rowan. 
So, as much uh, shit as I talked, I'll give it a cue it. Like, I definitely think at, it works as, you know, just a, a popcorn, maybe, like, if I've got people over and, you know, we're drinking and you kind of need, like, some background noise, something on the TV, like, this kind of does it. Because it does give you all the fan services, I think, of both franchises at a very basic level like you know i'm gonna get jason slashing and i'm gonna get freddy's shitty quips in this one you know if anything we can just make fun of how badly it's aged in terms of looks at least uh and then i'll give it also a view it for kelly Rowland, so we can all remember <laughs> that kelly Rowland was really a thing at one point <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Let's bring this journey to its end with our final movie, the final movie in this franchise, the 2010 remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street. The final nightmare. Samuel Bayer's new nightmare. Yes, from the director of the Smells Like Teen Spirit music video. And no other feature films, but many music videos. It has big Nirvana energy. Before we get into it, I was just curious, do you guys have a rating higher than View It? I might need it. <laughs> no, no, we don't. You know, Rowan, I have can, the ability to, to drop you out of this conversation <laughs> um, as the administrators, so be careful. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll tread on uh, that thin ice. <laughs> yeah, I think in this case, we would just give you a screw it. <laughs> we've, got, we've got Rooney Mara pre-fame Rooney Mara as uh, new Nancy. We've got uh, Oscar winner Jackie Earl Haley as Freddy Krueger. Wait, what did he win an Oscar? Are you fucking winning an Oscar for? Little children. Or maybe nominated. Let's, let me check that. He was definitely nominated. 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 Yeah, I, I feel like I would have remembered his Oscar speech. <laughs> but I mean, well, well-known well cinematic child molester Jackie Earl Haley plays... <laughs> <laughs> Freddy oh yeah he was he was just nominated yeah i mean what what can you say it's a it's a remake and I, I look i went into this with the highest of expectations um because i controversially on our halloween episode i said that i really enjoyed rob zombie's halloween <laughs> mr zombie to you mr zombie's halloween because as d wallace herself told us they're not remakes they're rob makes yeah, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really fresh and, and fun. That's and, not controversial. And stood on its own. It's amazing. So good. So I saw the um. So I saw the reviews. I saw the tomato score on this, and I thought, well, people are just comparing it to the first movie. Of course, you know, like let's go in. I'm going to clean slate. Let's see how they reimagine this concept. And damn, damn. <laughs> I mean, the biggest problem with this movie is that like. In the original, yeah, some of the effects are kind of hokey, like Freddy with his arms outstretched is like one of the worst scare scenes in film history in my mind. But like they try and replicate a lot of the iconic scares from the first movie with CGI and they it looks fucking terrible. And whoever thought to use the CGI like on his makeup as well, I hope they never got hired anywhere again. I'm so fascinated by the the physical presence of Freddy in this movie. We were Steven and I watched this together last night and uh I was like, Freddy just looks really short. And so I'm like looking up Jackie Earl Haley's height. I think he's he's quite short. He's like five five or five seven or something. And it almost seems like they made a creative choice to play that 
up. I mean, he seems, Freddy seems like a small person in this movie, which is interesting. They go for the like very, very realistic, I guess, burn victim look where his nose is almost gone. I don't know. It's, it's a very strange take on the character. I don't love it, but I kind of like it in the sense that like, if he's like a child murderer, molester, whatever, like he feels more like child size or AKA fun size in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I like that as a choice, but I don't, it doesn't feel like a choice, I guess. It doesn't feel deliberate. It feels like they were like, oh, Jackie Earl Haley, like he's creepy. He was nominated for an Oscar. Like, let's have him play Freddy. And they don't really like lean into that enough. What it does lean into way too much, in my opinion, is the whole child molester thing. I mean, we talked early on about, you know, Wes's original conception of Freddy as uh, a child molester and not a child murderer. And boy, does this movie really lean into making it quite clear that Freddie was a child molester and yeah. you know he's got these I guess ostensible quips like the quips are there but it's just him making really gross comments about like you know wanting to molest children you know at one point Rooney Mara who it turns out he molested in, in childhood uh, says fuck you to him and he's like ooh sounds like fun or he says oh. your mouth says no but your body says yes it's so ooh, it's just gross especially I don't know because I think it's supposed to be I think those lines are supposed to be kind of funny in the traditional Freddy quip sort of way but he's talking about child molestation so they're really not and they're just fucking skin crawlingly gross i don't know i you know i i thought i had no problem with jackie earl haley really oh jackie earl haley himself is fine it's just like the lines in the in the the new conception of the character that's really right uh, but upsetting to me i don't know i didn't really read those quips as one thing or the other because i was i was trying to just give a clean slate to everything like i i don't know if that was supposed to be funny as much as eerie um and I think he's fine. He's eerie. I mean, if you have to redo Freddy Krueger, sure, why not? But this movie just, I think, really illustrates the stuff I was saying before about how Freddy is good at being the boogeyman in the shadows in your dreams. And it's a pretty thin concept, and you got to not overplay it. And what this movie does, definitely, I don't know, I would say it's definitely the worst entry in the saga here. And it's so dull it's duller than some of the random ass movies we see on netflix that are bad because like you hit the tropes of these kids like doing research about the mystery like like in the first nightmare on elm street movie the kids got a very specific problem there's a boogeyman in their dreams who's fucking killing them in their dreams and they're dying in real life (laughs) cut print that's it who fucking freddy krueger is does not even fucking matter that movie really this movie is so concerned with who freddy is and what happened in the past and that whole backstory that that's how the characters spend all their time doing they're in the dusty ass library they're looking under their mom's bed they're finding fucking pictures of them in third grade it's boring i don't want to see a movie where these kids are just doing book reports for half the runtime of the movie well yeah i was just going to like agree like i just think a main issue is just everything is dull I didn't think there was anything visually interesting. It was so gray-toned and, like, it just didn't have any charm to it. And, which is crazy, because on paper, like, I remember when they announced this, 
Jackie Earl Haley on paper should make sense as Freddy. Like I think I I would think yeah, like this should be pretty good. And right. it's just like I don't know what happened. It's just like it seems that everything that could possibly go wrong with this movie went wrong. I I thought the way he played Freddy it, it was okay. I just think Robert England has, you know, he has something. He has like this vivaciousness to the role that he brings uh-huh. where Jack just kind of played it almost like lazily. It was just kind of like by the books, you know, paint by number, like, oh, I'm going to talk, you know, with a crazy deep voice and I'm just going to, you know, talk slow and creepy and then that's fine. We've had this franchise where everything is kind of fantastical and even in the first one even though it's not as crazy as number four or five like there's still kind of this fantastical stuff where this one like i might as well have been watching a friday the 13th movie because i thought freddy was pretty much going at the same pace as i'd expect jason to go (laughs) in terms of killing these people well yeah you know we've talked a few times on this episode about you know whether or not freddy himself can really even carry this franchise to begin with and uh you know to me the franchise more so than about freddy is about these awesome dream sequences you know the best ones the most successful ones are the ones that have those interesting and memorable surreal sequences that take place in the dream world and this movie i think is kind of the final proof of chris's point that like freddie himself is not a vehicle upon which to build a whole franchise because the dream sequences in this movie for the most part are just cribbing directly from the original nightmare on elm street and doing it less well as we've already talked about and they double mm-hmm. down on trying to give you more freddie backstory turn freddie into more of a character you know jackie earl haley is clearly actually giving a bit of a, a performance in those flashback scenes and trying to create a character where you can see how uh you know people loved him and how he ingratiated himself with these kids and got to a point where he was able to take advantage of them and it's just like that that original material that this movie kind of contributes to the concept is just gross and unpleasant and not something you even want to watch and i think it just drives home the the idea that you know this this isn't a character to build an entire franchise around i i think what the i think really the common thread between you know the last this to me this a new nightmare that really doesn't do it for me is we're really missing these kooky alcoholic parents. We need more. <laughs> if you if you want a good entry, they've got to have crazy parents. And I mean, I remember going in, especially rewatching now because I haven't seen this since I saw it in the theater when it came out. Like I remember thinking, oh, like uh, Katie Cassidy's in it. Like who better than making shitty remakes, horror remakes in this time era, and like. I'd watch Black Christmas over this, and I mean, that's probably saying a lot, because I thought that movie was a shit show. (laughs) This is just like a train wreck that I don't want to watch. This is uh, notable for having gratuitous uh, Quentin Tarantino references in it. (laughs) We've got a gratuitous inside the trunk shot. We've got a gratuitous uh, reviving someone with a oversized adrenaline needle to the chest shot. (laughs) And we have our male lead name. Uh, His name is Quentin. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Joe Bob. Jeez. So. 
We just needed a couple more feet. <laughs> All right, let's review it. Can we review it? I feel like we're there. Yeah, we we need to let this one go. I'll volunteer. Screw this fucking movie. It almost makes me reconsider the original. It is so bad in the way that it sucks the energy out of the ingenious premise of what started this whole journey for us. It's awful. Fuck this movie. Do we have to do we have a, can we create a new rating? <laughs> well you can you you can you can screw it with prejudice. Oh yeah, I screw it with prejudice. Uh Chris. I'm also going to screw it with prejudice actually um for basically the same reasons. I think it's a very interesting remake in that it helps you understand what was good about the original Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Yes. And what was not like we've talked about, like Freddy is coincidental to the first movie. Um, and, and this movie doesn't understand that this movie also relies a lot on just shitty two thousands era, like jump scares where it's like Jackie Earl Haley is a charismatic Freddy. I good enough, but he's not really given enough room to creep you out because they always want to do like a, like a glitch jump scare with him (laughs) instead of just letting him creep you out. So it's, it's a very interesting academic movie to see. Yeah. Just how you could just completely fundamentally misunderstand the material that you're working with. Screw it with prejudice. Fuck this movie. God bless anyone who put their heart into this movie, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not here for what she intended. I'm here for what you did. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Rowan uh, yeah I'm gonna give it a screw it. it man this is bad this is a remake that shouldn't have happened you know I know I've been reading and stuff that there's kind of talks of reviving and you know I know Robert England has said he'd like to come back I don't know if I would trust this property in anyone else's hands except for uh, give it to Peel Give it to Peel. I, you know why? Mm. I think, oh hell yeah! I, I think the world deserves a Black Freddy. I, I think we need it. <laughs> well, we kind of got it in us a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I say let's go all out and do it. But yeah, don't, don't spend your money on this movie or if Netflix, I because this definitely isn't on Netflix. I don't think at least in Canada. And uh, if you're in Canada and this comes on Netflix, just. T- you know, cancel your credit card. Don't, uh, <laughs> don't support them. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to follow that up with uh, another screw it with prejudice. Uh, I, I don't feel like any further explanation need be given. It fucking sucks. Don't waste your time. And with that, gentlemen, we have reviewed every Nightmare on Elm Street movie ever. How do y'all feel? Oh, yeah. God, my my life is worse for it. <laughs> yeah, jeez. I'm s- in spite of the in spite of the amount of viewits I've given to this franchise, it's been kind of a struggle to get through this whole. Time. I think you've given out more viewits on this episode than you have in the entire history of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true, and I I want to ask of all of you. I feel like we should really kind of like take stock. Would you Would you view Cure Screw this whole journey? Like, would you recommend that someone actually go through every Nightmare on Elm Street movie? No. <laughs> no, no. I, I, w- I would screw the whole journey. Um, I mean, definitely there's highlights. Um, I would recommend Nightmare 1, Dream Warriors, and New Nightmare 
as a trilogy to anybody. Um, after that, you can you can dabble. You could go to Nightmare Two if you want to see something fresh. But like, I I don't think there's any reason anyone, except for nostalgia purposes, or if they're just a diehard horror fan, should should try to watch all of these. Rowan, what do you say? Yeah, I'd say the whole franchise, like maybe a cue it. I I don't ever wish that kind of punishment on everyone. That you know, be like me where I'm like. Well, I got to review all these. I better watch all of them in two days. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I'm a franchise sucker. I like, I do love franchises when it comes to horror. But I think for an average person, there's far better one-off horrors that need to be watched than you know some of the bad contributions to this. My suggestion would be one, two, and four, and then I think that's really all you need. And then, you know, go watch It Follows or go watch something worth watching. <laughs> Steven, uh, are, did you have more to say? I mean, I would, I would if, if I'm given the choice, I would cue this franchise. It was a really fun journey, honestly. I really enjoyed watching all these films. Yeah, there are highs and lows, but um, the highs were, the highs kind of came up on me unexpectedly there there are some really fun sequences and choices in the better films of this franchise that i feel like are worth sitting through but if you're gonna do it don't watch freddy versus jason or the remake yeah for me i mean this is as i think i said on our last episode my favorite horror franchise i i would give it a view it obviously as we've talked about uh, there are, are some pretty bad movies in this run, but at least as far as a fucking nine film franchise goes, it's a pretty solid hit to miss ratio. And there are some obviously pretty damn big hits in there. I mean, even if you're just looking at sort of the obvious, like most beloved films, most yeah. popular films out of the franchise, uh, one, three, and even seven, you know, even though I'm not big on new nightmare, still big props to it for what it tried to do. It's a lot of fun. I'll continue to revisit these movies on a regular basis. I mean, not fucking Freddy's Dead and not fucking Five, but probably the rest of them. Oh, and not the remake, obviously. But the rest of them, probably movies that I'll still continue to rewatch on occasion. Here's the thing for me. I had a much better time watching the Halloween franchise than this, wow. which is ironic oh, because weird. I, I really like Nightmare on Elm Street more than I like Halloween. I mean, I, I like Halloween too, but um, I was expecting to have a lot more fun with this than I did. I think one of the issues is that this franchise really does not reward you for watching the whole franchise. Like, I, you know, I'm a sucker for that soap opera stuff in these long franchises. I love Saw, which you get pretty predictable returns with every Saw movie, but it always rewards you for having watched the previous movies. Even right. Halloween had some had some recurring characters, some narrative consistency from movie to movie. You could see what they were doing. This franchise is just so all over the place that really, like... It, it, you just feel very isolated when you're watching each of these movies. You don't feel like you're participating in a larger narrative or a larger conversation. Mm -hmm. And I, I like, I like to have that kind of larger context when I'm watching nine movies in a movie franchise. Yeah. This is a franchise that's constantly trying to reinvent itself all the way through. All right. Well, believe it or not, we're going to watch another movie next episode that isn't a nightmare on Elm street movie. And Chris is about to tell us what it is. Oh, I'm so glad I get to pick. Well, you know, I've been I, I've been preparing for this one. I'm very excited. Um, 
it's still Halloween time, and you know we've been watching some hard horror for a little bit. I've decided for the next episode, we're gonna watch the Netflix exclusive Who Be Halloween. Oh my yes! god! <laughs> yes! Oh my god! I am so on board for this. So on board. All right. Well, that'll be next episode. Until then, as usual, you can find us at everyhorrormovie on Netflix.com. We got that merch store out there where you can go buy our t-shirts and other cool stuff with our, our logo on it. Um, find us on your social media at Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N-Cast. Please rate and review the show on your podcast provider of choice because it does help people find us. And Rowan, uh, before you go, please uh, let our audience know where to find the It Slays podcast so they can check out the good stuff you guys are doing so uh you can check us out on all social media it slays podcast uh any of your kind of podcast providers itunes spotify stitcher i don't know whatever anyone uses we're up on that we're on youtube as well all the episodes are uploaded there we have a, a red bubble so we have shirts we have all that kind of good stuff pretty much just look up it slays podcast all right well thank you so much for joining us yeah thanks for having me We'll have to have uh, you guys on an episode. I know we're trying to pick a good one. Oh, I would love that. Please. I, I will volunteer to be a representative. Listen, I, 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 I will come on for Saw. I will come on for Saw 2. <laughs> I will come on for Saw 3, Saw 4, Saw 5, Saw 6, Saw the final chapter. I will even come on for Jigsaw. Listen, like I said, we're, we're going to find the technological know-how because we said the ultimate is to figure out how to have all six of us just duel over something oh like family feud style that'd be amazing (laughs) although we might have to adopt chris after his amazing take on rob zombie halloween (laughs) (laughs) all right well happy halloween everybody thanks for joining us on uh, this journey for every horror movie on netflix i'm wet freddy i'm semi dry freddy i'm chris i'm quite dry freddy (laughs) I am uh, extremely uh, flamboyant Freddy. (laughs) (laughs) Hawaiian shirt Freddy. Yes, queen. (laughs) We'll see you all next time. Bye.